We're in this series called Witness, and um, I love this term. We've used this term, but I didn't really experience that term in a different context until I preached at a friend's church. It was an African-American church, a black church. They had a very different culture. Like if you're a white preacher, you're very used to really polite audiences. That like when I say something, you're like, oh, sip, sip, mask on remember. Anyway, um, that, that's kind of what you get used to. So as a white preacher walking into a black church, um, it's a little bit of a culture shock because I'm preaching and then someone said something back to me and I was like, what, excuse me? And they're like, I'm not talking to you. I'm sort of talking at you. And you're like, oh, sorry. Okay. Um, so I start preaching and, you know, the energy in the room gets a little bit and, and I start getting kind of excited. And so I start preaching a little harder and a little heavier. And then at some point, somebody else in the audience says, can I get a witness? And the whole church is like, amen. And I was like, I'm not even needed anymore. <laughs> like this is happening beyond me and without me. And it was, it was really cool. And then, you know, the next week I went back to my church that was again like, Good sermon, Pastor. <laughs> I mean, I'm appreciative. I'm appreciative, but sometimes it's fun to experience something else. Anyway, that's kind of when this call and response, that's when I got that concept of witness, right, which was kind of cool. And recognize that, like, we all, we all kind of like to get a witness, we kind of like to get a witness to our lives. And if you don't think that's true, I'm going to ask you one question. Have you ever Instagrammed your food? You don't have to raise your hand because you know you have. You're like, that pizza looks good. Because <laughs> what we're looking for is for everybody to be like, pizza? <laughs> Which is kind of weird when you think about it. Like, we don't do that in other parts of our Well, we do now. In fact, we have actually begun to live and die by the witness that we receive to our lives on social media. Like, I'm on vacation with my family. Can I get a witness? And everyone's like, yay. Or like, boo. Or like, we're like, yay, but jealous. That's really what happens. Um, and so I kind of wonder, like, why do we need a witness to our lives? Why, why, I mean, do we need people to be saying amen or be saying, yeah, I, I can witness to that? Is it for meaning? Is it to show that we have some sort of legacy to be remembered? I think there's this innate desire in every one of us to, we just want to be known in some respects. The truth is social media wouldn't work if we didn't want to be known. If we really didn't care, because we all have that friend who's like, I'm not on social media. You're like, but how do you live? And like, really well, fine actually. And you're like, but what, what if you don't know what so-and-so is doing? He's like, I don't care. Right? Um, when I stepped off social media a couple years ago, I went through that withdrawal of like, how am I going to survive not knowing everything my congregation is doing all the time? And you know what it turns out? I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I don't care that much. And I miss stuff, and I know I do, and I don't say happy birthday to you on social media. It's not because I don't like you. It's because I'm not there. But we all kind of want to be known, to be acknowledged. Really, we kind of want to be understood. But we, we shroud it in other, other ways. And I think not only do we want to be known, but we want to be remembered. We want people to witness, you know, our legacy, family, career, spiritual legacy, whatever. And if you've ever been to a funeral where they open the mic up, you know that it's, it's one of those moments where, like, you know, people witness to who this person was. 
and it can go really well, it can get really weird. We've all been to those funerals as well. But, but we want someone to witness because it helps, it helps us know that we have some transcendency, right? That we will be remembered for something. But I think if we boiled it down to everything, the truth is we just want to be loved. And because we want to be loved, we need to be recognized. We need to have somebody in the world saying, I see you. I get it. We were there together. I remember when that happened. The truth is we're all looking for that transcendent love that goes beyond our boundaries. And then we want to be around people who witness to our lives. But when we're around people that witness to our lives, we recognize that witness is why community is important. Because when you witness something or witness with someone, you realize, oh, I'm with someone. Because the truth is our witness is really our witness. How we are with people, how we live with them, how we grow with them, how we play with them, how we pray with them. That's really what witness is. Me giving witness to the life that you lead or the life that you've led or the loved one has led. But what's interesting is that when, when we witness someone, we become community with that person, and we share things together, and then that commonality becomes our corporate witness to the world as well. So I'm going to ask this question today, and I'll ask it a few times. What does your community witness to the world? What do those who you surround yourself with, those who witness your life and have the witness that you want in your life, what do those tell the world about you? What do those things and those people, what does that community tell the world about your beliefs, about your values, and of course, your God? What flags of faith do you wave? And you know, there's some people that when they're around, community just happens. You know that person, right? They show up and then all of a sudden that's where the party is. Everybody wants to be around that person. I think Paul was one of those people. When Paul was around, community happened. You understand that Paul would go somewhere and kind of set up shop. Like literally, he would set up a tent making shop and he would begin to build a church. And people would begin to coalesce around him because he was an interesting dude. Like people liked him or they didn't like him, but they wanted to hear what he had to say. There's those kind of people too. It's not always attraction. Sometimes repulsion is a weird attraction, right? Like, you know, that happens here. When I say stuff like, if you're going to be part of this church, you got to engage. And if you're not going to engage, you need to get out of that chair because somebody who wants to engage needs to be in that chair. Every time I do that, the church grows. Like if I insult you guys and kick you out, you're like, well, we better go. Which is weird, but you know, Paul was kind of like that. Paul was one of those guys who just like built community when he was there. And so we're going to be studying from Acts chapter 20. If you've been reading along, you know that it's a pretty long chapter. We're not going to go through the whole chapter. We're going to look at two different places in this chapter, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 20. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. You can read whatever translation you like. We're going to start Acts 20 verse 7, and it starts like this. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Preachers. Nobody should preach until midnight. And by the way, as Luke 
remembers this, as Luke is, is telling this story from other people, because he did interviews from other people who, um, who remembered this, um, he brings a little levity to this particular story. Now, Luke is not necessarily known for his, his jokiness in his text, but this particular story, he's going he's gonna to make you laugh a little bit. But it, most translations don't really show us that because I think when people translate the Bible, you know, jokes aren't the first thing they're looking for. But he actually does this, right? So he says, listen, he was leaving the next day. He, do you see what it says? It doesn't say he was preaching till midnight. It says he kept talking till midnight, right? There's these little things. Um, but there's a few things going on here. First of all, it says on the first day of the week. Now, this has been used as a model for worship services, and it's been used as an explanation that already in the first century, Christians were worshiping on the first day, which we would consider to be Sunday, right? And so that's one of the arguments that's been made. Now, I don't know if you know this, but we're Seventh-day Adventists, which you should know because you're here. Um, so we have a tendency to be like, well, we don't like that very much. However, we do have an out. There's a loophole. And this is what it is. If you were Roman, you would count the days from midnight to midnight, just like we do now. But if you were Jewish, you would count the day beginning at sundown the day before. That's why Sabbath happens at sundown, right? So if it was the first day of the week in the evening, it would have been Saturday night. See? Now that's convenient for us. But I actually think it's actually true. They would have come from a Hebrew background, and so that's how they would have done it. So I think, I think we're talking about Saturday night. Also, it's not common for a preacher to preach until midnight. Paul was an apostle who had planted the church there, but then he had left and he was coming back through. So this wasn't necessarily a normal worship service, right? This was something, this was like camp meeting, Right? He showed up. It doesn't happen all the time. So I don't think this is a perfect model for the early church worship service. However, this story, you know, can have that impact on us understanding first century worship services. We know a couple things. Number one, they, they were happy to gather together. We also know, number two, that they were happy to gather together for a long time. And in the midst of that, they did the Lord's Supper and they also ate together. Those are kind of the same things at times. So, while I don't think it was on Sunday night, I think it was probably on Saturday night, which could be a little bit superfluous. I don't think this is a perfect model for an early church worship service that was something that was happening every week. Anyway, here comes the joke. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. It's the setup for the joke, right? This is context. If you tell a joke, you got to do the setup and then the punchline, right? It's like a misdirect. That's what you like comedians who say something you didn't know they were going to say. And good comedians have this. They say something, and then the audience goes, ha, 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 Does it always make you feel bad for, for magicians? Because nobody has a visceral response to magic except, <gasps> Like, the comedians get, get the laughter, magicians don't. Anyway, this is the setup, right? So it's a little bit of humor. Then he says, as Paul spoke, on and on. Right? It wasn't that he just spoke. As Paul spoke, on and on, a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. One of the reasons why is because there was a bunch of lanterns, a bunch of, of lamps that were taking away all the oxygen, as well as the hot air from Paul. See? Luke's pretty funny. Um, he's sitting on the way. He becomes very drowsy. Finally, 
You can tell this is just dragging out. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. That's not the funny part. <laughs> some of you, somebody actually said, oh. <laughs> like, oh, that's not the funny part. Um, so this is kind of a delightful little anecdote. It's only delightful because we know what's about to happen. If this were the end of the story, it would be a tragic, horrible story of a preacher who didn't shut up and needed to be quiet, and the fact that ventilation is important, right? Um, but that's not what happened. We know the end of the story. Paul went down, bent over him, took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said. He's alive. There's also a great deal going on here. Every word is pregnant with meaning because there's a strong connection to Easter. This is happening around Easter. There's a resurrection, so it's reminding people that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, but there's other things happening too. The way that Paul resurrected this young man is that he went over to him and he bent down and he took him. We haven't seen that since the Old Testament in Elijah and Elisha's time. So there's a connection to the Old Testament. There's a connection to Easter. There's a connection, of course, to Lazarus because you don't talk about resurrection unless you think about Lazarus a little bit as Jesus resurrected his best friend. Right? There's a whole lot going on in this text. So he uses humor and then he brings the point home that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that's where his power comes from. And I wonder what this community's witness would have been because they just experienced something incredible. And I wonder, do our communities celebrate the life-giving nature of the gospel in the way that this community would have? Because that is church. That is community with purpose to connect everything to the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Paul, or Luke says this. Then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper and ate supper. So they did it again. And Paul continued until dawn. And then he left. Think about the way those people walked out of that building as the sun was rising. Think about the community witness that they had just experienced together ready to tell the world that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that this young man, Eutychus, is no longer dead, but he is alive because Paul was able to, through the power of Jesus Christ, resurrect this young man from the dead. Meanwhile, and Luke's always going to wrap all the loose ends together, meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and everyone was greatly relieved. So the question becomes, again, what can we as a community give witness to? What has happened at Crosswalk or in your community? What is happening at Crosswalk or in your community that gives us a unified witness to the world? How do we tell the truth of the gospel that we have experienced? Now, two weeks ago, I said something very interesting, I thought. I said, I don't want you to witness to Crosswalk. I want you to witness to Jesus. But we also know that Jesus is alive and well and working through crosswalks. So we've gotten to experience the grace of God. What have we witnessed as a community? And this is an important question for us. Because while our witness might be personal and powerful, our communal witness is just as important to what we give to the world. A few of the things that we've witnessed over the last few years at Crosswalk God working in momentum. 
God creating not just growth, but a quickening in our hearts and our minds for Him. A quickening that has us inviting people to church, has us connecting with people online. We understand that this is Spirit-driven and Holy Spirit-blessed. As a community, we have also experienced the grace of God through worship. I did today. This is perhaps one of the greatest witnesses that we have, the opportunity to come together, experience the falling of the Holy Spirit into our hearts by the way that we worship God. Every single week, consistently with excellence, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. We've also experienced, even through a time of COVID, growth. And growth always comes from the Holy Spirit, bringing hearts together. Now, I know you're looking around like, well, pre-COVID, everyone was just standing around. Like there was, it was standing room only. We understand COVID is still happening. People are still dying. People are still at risk. And so not everybody's willing to come back to church yet. We understand that. But we also know that during this time, our online presence has grown and that's allowed us to grow more campuses. That's allowed us to grow more groups as well as just people at home that I meet coming to me and saying, you're my, I've never met you before. You're my pastor. I watch you every single week. I listen to worship every single week. I am a part of Crosswalk Church. God does that. As well as, and I think this is this is this to me has been really incredible. The the innovation that the Holy Spirit has led through this time during COVID, but also before. Right? During we experienced not only all of what I just said, numbers one through three, but also we were able to pivot in a way that wasn't easy. An incredible staff, ready to be innovative, ready to change the way that we did church. I remember that Thursday when we got the word that churches were shutting down and we sat down in my office. I think we ordered pizza because we do that sometimes. And we said, okay, how does church look now? We've got to think about this differently. And the team and the, the congregation, you guys were, everyone was able to pivot. And that grew the influence of, of what Crosswalk has been able to say into the world. And that's been an incredible blessing. And again, that comes from the Holy Spirit. And you know what I realize is that prior to even COVID, God was preparing us for this time. Because we had been planting churches with video, people watching the sermon on video. And it was so funny to be in conversations with people who were like, that'll never work. People will never go to church watching video. And then the world shut down. And I got to tell you, I felt bad for the pastor, you know, that first week who was holding his iPhone trying to preach. I was like, man, at least put it like down. <laughs> but people were doing that because they weren't prepared. God had been preparing us the whole time. For us, it was like different camera angles. God had been preparing us in innovative ways the whole time. God had continually been working with us. And it was, it was amazing. And just to be clear, it still stunk. It was horrible to go 15 months without meeting together. It still stinks to wear masks. It still stinks to do, I get that. But God has been faithful through all of this. We have witnessed God continuing to move even though the earth was shutting down. We have a community witness that's pretty powerful. Now, we're going to go back into the text, but we're going to jump to later on when Paul is leaving. But he's beginning to admonish them. And he's been talking about his loyalty to the gospel. 
But then he leaves them instructions for community witness. So we'll be jumping to chapter 20, verse 28. And his kind of final words to this group. He says, so guard yourself and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. So he's saying we got to take care of each other. And there's going to be some in the community that are going to function as elders, some that functions as deacons, some that function as, you know, just the, the general congregation. We're going to do something this year that we haven't done before. Our leadership team, of which we have a bunch of new people that have just rolled onto our leadership team. Our leadership team, we're going to bring them up here in the next few months, and we're going to ordain them all as elders for the church because they help lead this church. We want you to know who they are. We want you to know that they're resources for you to pray with you, to help you understand what Crosswalk is and that sort of thing. So we're going to do that because we believe in what the scriptures say. And then Paul continues his warning because he understands, especially when things change, especially when a leader leaves, that, that the community now has a witness to give to the world. It's not just Paul, it's the community. And so he says this, I know the false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Right? The flock is always in danger. Every congregation is always in danger. It's in danger from, from slings and arrows that come from the outside. It's also in danger, as he says now, even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Every congregation has this same issue. There are people who want to see it fail from the outside, and there are people who are, have, have nefarious intent from the inside. That's why we need elders. That's why we need people thinking and praying about what God wants and what our community witness will be. And then he says, watch out. Remember the three years I was with you. See, Paul, when he went somewhere, he went to plant a church. He would show up. He would literally set up camp. He would set up a tent-making spot, and he would begin to build the community around him by the use, not the use, by the expression of the gospel that he had, and people wanted to be with him. So he said, remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. Because Paul understood that being in community means that we experience the joy of victory and salvation, and we also experience the pain when someone dies, the pain when someone leaves, the heartache that we have. We do that as a community. His care and his vigilance is a model for us to keep each other safe in the midst of everything that is happening in the community. Because church in a world as divided and, and, and broken as the world that we live in, church has to be the place where we feel the safest. And I'm talking everyone who comes in has to feel safe. Everyone who comes in to our world, little microcosm of the world that God has set up as a community has to feel like they belong. Paul says, and now I entrust to you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance, like the song said that we sang earlier this morning, give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. So let's be clear, whatever we witness to, the very deepest theme, whether we're talking about how God is working through Crosswalk, how God is working through your personal life, the miracles that God is doing in your life, it all comes to this point that we give witness that we are recipients of God's grace in the world. 
It is the grace of God above all that we give witness to. And then Paul says kind of a final clarity because he had been talking before, you know, about his work in the gospel. He says, listen, I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. He said, I didn't do this for what I could get, which is what those other people in the congregation will do, try and suck resources away for themselves. He said, I never did that for you. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. I I took care of myself and I actually took care of other people because I wasn't going to just live off your wealth or your kindness. I was actually going to do the work myself because I'm in community with you, not just leading you, but with you. He says, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's kind of his final wrap-up. But then something happened that was really important. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and he prayed with them. And this is what communities do together. Especially during transitions, especially during heartache, they kneel and pray together. A few years ago, a good friend of mine um, lost his wife and his son Um, she was 24 weeks pregnant. And so I got the call and went down to the ER. And, um, you know, the story sort of became famous because of a viral video that, that happened. But before all that, there were just the leaders of the ministry we were running together in a room right by the ER where his wife had died. We were not unsure about the outcome of his son who ultimately died. And... It, just, the, just the worst, just the hardest thing. And it had been quite a few hours that we had been there and processing, figure out what's happening, speaking to doctors and nurses. And, and there was one point where we, we were just together in this room and we were holding one another and we were crying. Because what else do you do? You don't have words. cried and we embraced. In fact, we were crying so much as we were praying that I remember there was a ring of tears on the floor. I'd never seen that before. And being the kind of people we were, at some point somebody's like, can you look at the floor? And we started laughing in the middle of this prayer because that was the kind of culture we had built among brothers. You know, those, those moments ended and We had to go do our separate things in our separate ways that day. And as I was walking out, this this nurse calls me over and she says, can you come here for a second? I said, yeah, sure. So I walk over and she says, you're a pastor, right? I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, And she says, "I've, I've never seen what just happened before. She said, I've been working in the ER for a long time, but I've never seen what just happened before. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, I've never seen men come together like that to care for one another and hold one another and have faith like that. And she said, how, why, you know? And I like to, I like to say that I had some, you know, brilliant pastoral and, you know, philosophical response. I don't really remember what I said because I was just in shell shock trying to figure out how you live through a transition like that. 
but I know I said something to the effect of this is what the community of God is. This is how we care for one another. This is how we are with one another. And this is what gives witness to the world of what love can be. I probably said, I don't know, and walked off. But that's what I hope I said. Acts 20, 38, they were sad, most of all, because he had said they would never see him again. And so they went all the way down to the ship with him because he was leaving and he wouldn't make it back to their town. They knew it was time for him to go. But the sadness when community changes, when death happens, when there's a transition, while the change is palpable, our witness is our witness. And they didn't stop being a community just because Paul left. It was the community, not just Paul, that was the witness to their witness. When a leader leaves, when someone dies, it's difficult. Paul was an apostle, he wasn't a pastor, he wasn't gonna stay around forever. He was called to leave and grow other communities. But his legacy is the witness of the communities that he left. And do you know that in Asia Minor, there are still communities today that can trace their legacy back to this conversation? To when Paul was there? So this is the question we ask. What is the witness of your community to the world? What is, what is it that you are saying to the world by those that you surround yourself with, by the witness that you have with people that witnesses to the world? How are you expressing that Jesus Christ is the champion of the world? That Jesus Christ is the one who overcame everything? How are you living in victory even when we have to deal with the worst possible things? When we have to deal with loss, when we have to deal with transition, when we have to deal with absence, how are we as a community witnessing to the world that Jesus Christ overcame all? that on the cross he overcame sin and that through the resurrection from the tomb he overcame death so that sin could have no hold on us any longer. How are you living your life and surrounding yourself with people that are bringing healing to the world, not division, that are bringing love to your community, not strife, that are not so so held within their ideologies that they can't find a way to love. We have to live beyond that because that is our witness to the world. And also we don't get to sequester ourselves in our churches and pretend like the world doesn't exist or pretend like we have nothing to offer the world because what we have to offer the world is the resurrection and the life through Jesus Christ. So don't think that your witness doesn't matter. And don't think that your witness isn't important because as a community, we speak to the grace of God in the world. In the way that we act, in the way that we love, in the way that we sing, in the way that we worship, all of that matters. We guard ourselves, we protect one another, but we always speak the grace of Jesus Christ into the world because he is our champion. Stand up and sing with us today.